let me encourage you to find your place in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter number 6, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 1, and we're going to start continuing the series of messages I've been preaching, uh, living with biblical clarity. If there's ever a time in our history that we needed to live with biblical clarity, it's right now. People need to see Jesus in us. And in this particular passage of Scripture, we're going to be looking at what I've entitled Organizing the Church. Organizing the Church. Every church needs a clear and precise organization. And uh, when the church was growing in this particular area, we see that there was a little bit of trouble that was happening. And that encourages me because here's the first century church that had a challenge in its life. And there is no perfect church. If, look, if you're our guest, if you're listening, if you're viewing us uh, on any social media platforms or listening to us in any of those platforms as well, this is not a perfect church. We're not a perfect people. We're forgiven people. And because we are forgiven, we have within us the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us gives us a deep hunger, a deep longing for the Word of God. And so... God's called me in the area of the ministry that God's called me to to point us back to the Word of God. I still believe this is true without any mixture of error. And I believe this Word is just as relevant today as it was in the first century when it was written. Now, when it was written in the first century, it was written to the first century uh, individuals, the first century church, in regards to the fact that while it was being written, it was to encourage those generations that come after them to keep trusting the Lord, keep focusing on Him, keep the gospel as the primary source of mission for the church. We are to go, and, and we say it this way at Maysville, loving God, loving others, serving the world. But we are not in any way, by any means, a perfect church. As a matter of fact, your pastor's made his share of mistakes, plenty of them. Uh, I can remember one time I was preaching an Easter sermon, and I had an individual in our church build this great big contraption. It was a mirror, and it was actually two mirrors, but the church didn't know it was two mirrors. But what, what it was is it had a mirror, and then behind that mirror was another mirror, so kind of a double-paned kind of deal on this great big wooden monstrosity, and it was Easter. And I had a pen uh, or a, a Sharpie, and what I would do is I would mark on that mirror all these different sins, you know, guilt, shame, pornography, alcoholism, and I would write them all over this to, to paint a real dark picture of how we're all sinners. And it was, it was awful. We look in the mirror and we feel all this guilt and this shame because of the sin that we have when we look in the mirror. But when we give our heart and life to Jesus Christ, He forgives us of our sins and he, we, we are new creatures in Jesus Christ. And the way I would demonstrate that is I would reach in the pulpit and I'd get a hammer. And I'd come and I'd take that hammer and I'd hit that first mirror and it would shatter buzzard, and all the glass shards and all would hit, would hit the, the, the floor. And uh, we, we did actually did two. We were in one service. I remember we were in one service at the time. But I had two made because I needed to practice. And so the first one worked out perfect. I mean, I wrote on there, but nobody saw it. I mean, it was just me and the guy that built the contraption. And, and man, this is going to be good. I mean, this is going to bring the house down. This is a great illustration. And so I got there, and we were doing it, and we're broadcasting live. We broadcast over in Alabama at that particular uh, season. And uh, it was time for me. I had them all written on the board and all. And I took the hammer, and I got so excited about this illustration 
that when I swung, I swung too hard, and I threw that hammer through both of those mirrors. <laughs> glass hit the floor, and you can see right through the frame. All you saw was the frame. It was the funniest thing. Then I had to try to explain the illustration. It didn't do anything but create just a funny memory that we even laugh about today. So there's no perfect church. There's no perfect pastor. And when we look here at this particular section of Scripture, we find that even the first century church wasn't perfect. Now remember, the Word of God has not been written yet. So they're living this. And now after they'd lived in it, the Holy Spirit moved upon Luke's life as he <clears throat> penned these words. But let's look at this story in chapter number 6, verses 1 through 7. And really, this is kind of a, it's an instructional piece. It's really what it is. It's an instructional piece of scripture. Uh, we just come off a narrative. Right in the center of this, right after this narrative is instruction. And then we go back into narrative, which is quite fascinating. Narrative sermons, uh, as you are well aware of, are very different than instructional sermons. So I want to point out some things in this instructional uh, sermon about organizing the church. Let's read the text, then we'll pray, and we'll jump right into it. Look at what the Scripture says. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, <clears throat> there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. Then the twelve called the multitude and the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Paranams, and Nicholas, apostolite of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, the apostles prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of priests were uh, obedient to the faith. There are five things here in this text I want to call your attention to that I hope will be an encouragement to you and help strengthen our faith as Maysville Baptist Church. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is the challenge. The challenge. In verse number one, we are presented with the challenge the church now has. Every church is going to have challenges. There will, there's not a church and never will be a church that will not encounter challenges. And in this challenge, you see, as a church, the church is multiplying, and the disciples are, are growing. And here's something that we must take note of. Anytime discipleship grows, the devil attacks. Every time. And that's what we're seeing here. Remember, every time the church has grown up until this season, up until this time, the devil's tried to shut it down. Remember, he first tried to shut it down with persecution. And that didn't work. The church just kept growing. Then he tried to shut it down with corruption when Ananias and Sapphira lied. That didn't work. It continued to grow. And now he's going to use the same lie, the same lie that he uses today, and it is dissension. He is going to try to work inside the church 
and divide the people. And if he can divide the people and get them mad and angry and bitter, then they'll leave the church, they'll leave the faith, they'll go back to Judaism, they'll go back to uh, these religious institutions that are not doing anything but sending people to hell. And so he says here in the text, the Bible says, And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. Did you see the two things that are worth mentioning here? Number one, the first one is the multiplication and the murmurings. Again, any time you have the Word of God going forth and people getting saved and the multitudes are beginning to grow, there will always pop up a murmuring. Always. Now this murmuring is very, very important that we understand what he's talking about here. The word murmuring here in the Greek means a secret displeasure. It, it means that there's something that you're upset about inside and you, you're, you are keeping it a secret right now. But you can't keep it a secret forever. And so eventually you are going to open up that secret with inside of you from your displeasure and you're going to communicate it according to Webster's online dictionary it says this in, in the terms of murmuring. To utter a complaint in a low, half-articulated voice, to feel or express distraction or discontent, to grumble often with or against, or against someone or something. So here, if you hold in that secret anger that you might have, and then you let that come out, it, it produces itself in the form of murmuring. Uh, we've had murmuring going on here before. Uh, murmuring is, exists in every church. And we've got to be aware of murmuring and recognize murmuring, and as Barney Fife would say, nip it in the bud. Nip it, nip it, nip it. Why? Because murmuring does not produce holiness. Murmuring always produces disunity. Every time. And so we've got to recognize murmuring when we see, when we see it. Because murmuring indicates, watch this, we're out of harmony with the church. Murmuring indicates we're out of harmony with the church. First, it expresses a dissatisfaction. And then perhaps it settles into an area of pride. Then that pride turns to covetousness. And then that covetousness always leads to rebellion against God's provision and providence. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful not to murmur when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. Because the goal that we have here is not to hurt anyone. The goal that we have here is not to create disunity. The goal that we have here at Maisel is to love God, love others, and serve the world. And the challenge that the first century church, in regards to the multiplication and the, and the murmuring, they had to get that under control because if they did not get it under control, it would ruin the church. Now, in regards to this situation, we're not saying that the challenge was wrong. What we're saying here in the text, in the context that it's written in, that the murmuring was uncalled for. There should have been a simple request and a dialogue and a discussion on how to meet the needs of, this, of these neglected Grecians. Well, that brings us to the second point. The second thing I want you to notice is not only the multiplication and the murmuring, but I want you to see the Hellenists and the Hebrews. The Hellenists and the Hebrews. If you take your pens, pencil, lipstick, or mascara and look at the Word of God and find that word Grecians there 
and underline the Grecians were against the Hebrews. The term Grecians simply is talking about a group of Jews who were not naturally born in Jerusalem. They were born under this Grecian uh, uh, culture. In this Grecian culture, they adopted the Grecian cultural attributes. But they were still Judy, they were still involved in Judaism. And so on this particular occasion, when they came to the Passover and they heard the gospel presented, these Grecians, or the literal translation is Hellenists, these Hellenists, when they heard the word of God, received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, turned away from Judaism, and just like the Hebrew Christians, they became born-again children of God. The only problem was, traditionally, the Hebrews viewed the Hellenists as second-class citizens. It was a pure form of, of racism. They didn't like them. They didn't think they were uh, appropriate. They, 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 they didn't want anything to do with them. And so there might have been a legitimate problem here, but it was not worth murmuring about. It was worth meeting the need. They needed to meet this need. And so even though they, were, they should not have been murmuring, the Grecians were against the Hebrews. And here we see the reason why. It had to do with the widows and the work of the ministry. There was this daily menstruation. There was this daily time, if you would, where the widows would get the resources they need in, in order to survive. The Jews always took care of their widows. But now that they're born again, now that they're born again children of God and they're not locked into Judaism, does that mean that these Jewish widows go by the wayside? God forbid. The church came right along that had Hebrews, that had all Jews in it at this particular moment in time. But you had these Hellenists and then you had these Hebrews and they were at war with each other. But they both come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So in an attempt to say one was better than the other, the Hebrews took care of their widows while they said that the Hellenists should take care of their own. And there was just not enough help to go around. We find coming on the scene then is this area, if you would, of this ministry that needed to take place. He tells us there, uh, if you would, in verse number one again, he says their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. We're saying, not saying that it was right to do it the way that they were doing. In fact, it was definitely wrong. But we see the challenge that existed in that church today. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is this. If this was the challenge in the, in the first century, what is the challenge that we have in the 21st century? Can I, can I just share this with you? Here's my heart on this. As a pastor... I think the challenge that we have right now in the 21st century as a born-again child of God is letting the culture rule in such a way that we sit idly by and do not get involved. That's the challenge we have today. I was watching. Uh, anybody in here besides me like Rick Steves? I mean, you know, his little, his little PBS things on, on Europe and all. I was watching last night. He was in France. And he was giving us this illustration about what was going on. Not, excuse me, not in France, but in, in central Turkey. Did you know that in central Turkey, central Turkey was Christianized for five centuries? Five centuries. Today, there are hardly any Christians at all. Not a, none at all. As a matter of fact, if you go to central Turkey, you can tour the caves that the Christians would live in while persecution was coming down hard on them. 
And when persecution came down hard on them from Islam and, and they drove out the Christians and now it is, it's, it, it is a, a Muslim or is an, is an Islamic uh, state at this particular time. However, they are kind to Christians, but Christians still have to pay taxes and all the rest of that stuff. But the point that I'm making is there was a time, there was a time when it was Christianized. Brothers and sisters, this country, whether we like it or not, was bound on, or found and bounded upon, founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. Those principles are the principles that are found in the Word of God. You see them in our Declaration of Independence. You see them in our Constitution. You see them in the laws that we have. Are we a perfect nation? No. Do we have sin and stains in our past? Yes. Do we have a desire to set those things right and in order? I think Martin Luther King was right when he stood and began to preach and said that the dream that he had, that is a wonderful opportunity if we'll take advantage of it. We're little black boys and white, white boys and black girls and black boys where we all can come together and worship together and know that we're all born, created equal in the sight of the Creator. Yes, 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 yes. But we, in a culture today, want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We say, no, the Bible is it's archaic. It's old. It tells you things like that that's not wise to drink. It shuns on the fact that you lived together before you married. It only classifies the race, as, as, it only classifies the gender in two areas, male and female. It's out of date. It's, uh, it's, it's archaic. Well, the believers have got to rise up and have to stand on the Word of God and hold fast to the truth that says, if God be true, let everybody else be a liar. Even if it means persecution, imprisonment, and having to defend what you believe in relationship to the Word of God. That's the challenge we have today. Number two, let me show you a second thing. Not only do you see the challenge, you also see the calling. The calling. Look at what the Bible says in verses 2 and 3. The Bible says there in the text that when the twelve, then they called the twelve, the, the multitude, excuse me, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It's not a reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who... Excuse me, whom we may appoint over this business. Watch this now. Whenever the enemy tries to harm the bride of Christ, the true born-again believers, the true born-again leadership of the church, the true pastors, those that God has given discernment, will rise up to solve the challenges that exist within the community of believers. That's exactly what happened here. And I want you to notice how God used those leaders. Number one, the first one is the multitude. Look at verse 2 again. The Bible says, Then the twelve called the multitude. The twelve can be related, if you would, to the pastor and the pastoral staff today. Those leaders called the church together. Now remember, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 plus people here. And anybody and everybody that can come, he's asking to come. And in their coming, the multitude is coming to them, and God is going to simply say this. The answer to the problem, the answer to the challenge is within these four walls. It's within the church. The answer is within the church. I think about this in our history. 
six years ago. The first Sunday in August was my sixth year anniversary. Six years ago, when you called me to be your pastor, you as a church had one primary concern. The number one concern outside of discipleship, winning people to Jesus and seeing them baptized and growing in Jesus Christ, the number one challenge and concern here at the church that you were most concerned about was the debt. That was what you were concerned about. Such a tremendous load. So much so that the church was in a financial position where there had to be some shifting of some uh, ministerial staff. They had to redirect their ministries, so to speak, uh, so that we could make it. And so as I came in as your pastor, the first thing I did, I say, I accept and receive this debt as my responsibility. My responsibility. And I want to see it go down as quickly as possible. But here's one thing you need to know. Many of you remember this. I am not a campaign fundraiser. I don't know how to do it. I'm ignorant on it. I, I, in regards to campaigns, I just... I, I just I don't see it in the Bible. I don't see where the first church of Jerusalem there had a campaign to house these 20,000 people. They just said, give, and when God blesses, we're going to take care of business. And that's all I know. That's all I've known all my ministry. So I just simply said this. No more campaign. We're going to let God meet the need. All I'm asking for you to do is be obedient. Will you pray and ask God to fulfill this need that we have and meet this need and through these six years, you have done so with such accuracy and with such faithfulness that I stand before you today with a debt at $480,000. I'm telling you, God is using you in a mighty, mighty way to get that eliminated. He uses his church. He uses his people to meet the needs and the challenges within the church. But watch this. Not only do you see the multitude, you also see the ministry. Look at what the Bible says in verse 3. He goes on to say, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over, the, over this business. We see here the ministry. Brothers and sisters, as the first century church was moving along, they recognized that they needed to start a ministry. This ministry that needed to be started had to be run not by the pastors, but it had to be run by the people. The born-again people of God. The ones that love God with all their hearts. Why? So that the men of God could continue to preach the Word of God. Not that serving tables was below them, but they needed to keep the main thing the main thing. And so what is the main thing? That is the proclamation of the gospel. How will they hear without a preacher, the Bible says? And so the apostles knew that they had to continue to preach, but there was this ministry need that needed to be started. And so what did they do? They started off-campus groups. The widows need somebody to minister to them. So let's start seven classes with seven men. and Get them out there and get them over it. And the Bible tells us there in the text that they picked these gentlemen and they were appointing these individuals for this new ministry. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, as we continue to grow at Maysville, as we continue to grow here physically as a church, as we continue to grow on the internet as a church, can I tell you, this is the weirdest thing. I, was, I never saw this coming. Never, and i got to figure it out. I'm praying through it. I don't know how to figure it out yet. We've got individuals that are homebound, 
can't go to church and are looking for a Bible-believing church that's going to preach the Word of God, that do not live in the state of Georgia, they live in other areas around the country and even around the world, and they're asking, can we join your church? In fact, they're tuning in right now. There's some that are tuning in now that have joined our church. They cannot get here. They cannot go to church. They're shut in from the pandemic. And th listen to me. This is what they said. I, I can only, I'm only testifying. I'm just the newsboy, okay? I'm just bringing the news to you. They simply said, we want to join your church. We want this online church, this virtual church that we are a part of. We want it to really we want it to really make a difference, not just for us, but for everybody. And to show you how much we believe in your ministry, here's a check for $26,000 to fix the lighting so that it'll be better as you broadcast. Hey. That happened this week. I wasn't expecting that, David. I wasn't expecting it. An individual called and said, Look, I'm in an area, I'm in a liberal area. There's no Bible-believing churches in this area of the United States that I'm in. No, no there's no Bible-believing church. I'm a Christian. I need to be fed. I've been watching, your, been watching your services now for months. I need to be a part of your church. Could I please join your church? Not in the state of Georgia. There are new ministries that need to be born every single month. Every single season. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the ministry is not being stopped by the pandemic. It's exploding because of the pandemic. The ministry. Number three, let me show you this. Watch this. We've got to stay focused. Why? Because the third thing I want you to see in the text is the consistency. Notice the consistency in verse number four. The leadership turns and says this. But we, the leadership, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The consistency of the apostles were twofold. Here's what he said. He said, there are two things we can't neglect. Number one, the first thing we can't neglect is prayer. How many of you want a staff that prays? Amen. I'm telling you what, that'll make a difference in a church. You've got a praying staff. You've got a staff that came this morning, came to this altar this morning and prayed, asking God's presence to fall on this place. He's here. He is with us. And he's speaking to us today. And he's challenging us in the area of our consistency. Can I challenge you from this perspective? How consistent are you are in prayer? Can I ask you to examine your prayer life? The apostle says we got to give ourselves continually to prayer. Now, he's not talking about walking around with your hands folded and praying with your eyes closed all day long. No, he's talking about being in a spirit of prayer. We as born-again children of God, me as the leader of this church, as the pastor of this church, the staff as staff or, or, or ministerial leadership of the church, we've got to give ourselves continually to prayer. Why? Because if we'll give ourselves continually to prayer, so will you. I've shared this story before, and, and this might get back around to them. They, they may be watching today, and that's okay. I had an individual many, many years ago. This is some 15 to 17 years ago. I was preaching a revival at this little church, and after I preached, this man came up to me, and, and he said, I'm going to start praying for you. Well, I have a lot of people tell me that. 
I have a lot of people say, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you. And I thank God for it. I need all the prayers I can get. Goodness knows I need all the prayers I can get. Just this past vacation last year, this last vacation I took, we were in a church, Miriam and I was, and we were visiting. I looked up, and there was the guy that told me that some 15 to 17 years ago. I saw him and his wife, and I walked up, and I said hello and asked them how they were doing. We had small talk. We talked about the weather. We talked about ministry. talked about you. talked about God's blessing and all. And, and I, I said, well, thank you so very much. I, I love y'all, and uh, I, I'll talk to you just the next time I see you. Th- thank you. And I turned around and walked off, and she grabbed me by the coat. The wife did. And she stood up and said, can I talk to you just for a minute? I said, yes, yes, ma'am. And she said, uh, I, I just want, I want to try my best to communicate the way my husband feels about you. Now, this man has never been, I've never been his pastor. He's only heard me preach on radio. He's heard me uh, video, cassette tapes that he would order. And he said this, or she said, the wife said this, every morning for all these years since he met you, all these years, some 17, 15 to 17 years ago, he wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning, goes to the restroom, comes out of the restroom, goes to a chair that he's got by the window, and he kneels down and weeps and cries for God's hand to be on you. Humbled. Humbled by that. That's what we need. We need men and women of prayer that will combat the darkness that we're surrounded with with prayer. Prayer is so vitally important because prayer uh, is commanded of you and I. It's in God's Word. God's Word calls us to pray. Matthew chapter 5 verse 44, the Bible says this, that we're to pray for those who persecute you. Those individuals that are being persecuted today all over the world in churches and also because of, of, of structure and, 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 and even uh, uh, the way that they believe in, in, in society. Listen, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for their salvation. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5, and when you pray, he's expecting us to pray. When you pray, he says. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9 says, this then is how you should pray. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. The one thing we can always do is pray. God's Word calls us to pray. Number two, Jesus prayed regularly. You're never more like Jesus than when you're praying. The Bible tells us in Matthew 14, 23, after he had dismissed them, talking about the disciples, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. There are seasons in our lives where we need to pray by ourselves. Could I ask you a question? When do you pray? So, well, preacher, I pray for my meal every day. That's good. That's good. But is that enough? The Lord wants to hear from you, friend. He wants to hear your heart. He wants to hear your burdens. He wants you to be a prayer warrior. And you might say, well, I I don't know how to pray. Remember, prayer is just you communicating with God. That would be point number three in, in regards to prayer. Prayer is how we communicate with God. God could have chose for us to communicate in any way, but he chose for us to communicate with him through prayer. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. I know it's an Old Testament verse, but the principle is true. If his people, 
not just the Jewish people, but the people of promise, those that are engrafted in. If my people who are called by my name, what's your name? You're a Christian. Your name is Christian. You're a born-again child of God. If you will just humble yourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from your wicked ways, then he will, you, you, he will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Our land desperately needs healing today. And this is the only way. Prayer. But not only do I want you to see the consistency in prayer. Let me give you the next one very quickly as my time is getting away. He also says that they also ought to be faithful in preaching. Did you see it in verse number 4? Look again. They say, but we're going to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I would underline that word, that phrase, the ministry of the word. Why? Because he's referring to the preaching of the gospel. He's saying it's our responsibility as apostles. Remember, the, the Bible hasn't been written yet. God is using the apostles through many signs and wonders to get people's attention to look so that they could point to Jesus Christ and say he really died on the cross. We saw him rise up from the dead. And if you will accept him and repent of your ways, then you can be saved. You will be saved if you'll come to Jesus Christ. He says, that's what we're called to do. And he says, it's hard for us to do that if we're taking food to the widows. So we need you to do that. The widows need food. And you as a Christian, not as a Hebrew, not as a Hellenist, but as a Christian are called to do that. Brothers and sisters, we are called to ministry. I am called to preach. I am called to pray. We are called to minister. And as we minister together, may we see the consistency of prayer and preaching as God blesses our congregation. Number three. Let me show you. Excuse me. Number four. I'm, I'm moving on. Number four. The fourth thing I want you to see here in the text. The choice. The choice. Look at what the Bible says in verse number five. The Bible tells us in this passage of Scripture, and, they, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip. Now let me stop right there. The first two individuals that are named here are the ones that we know the best. Here we find that the choice fell upon these seven men. And these seven men we call deacons, uh, diakonos. It is the Greek term that means servant. And they are to serve. Stephen does not know it at this particular time, but his calling to serve will lead to his death. But he never went by the wayside in regards to his boldness. Why? Because the calling upon their lives, these men's lives, required them to be full of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. Brothers and sisters, if you're going to have the backbone of a railroad tie, and you're going to believe the Word of God, then you have got to have faith, and you've got to be so full of faith, and so full of the Holy Spirit, that you are able to state your case and state truth 
knowing that you're going to get an attack, knowing that there's going to be an onslaught that comes against you. Several years ago, when the Tea Party first arrived, I was called upon and asked, because there were a bunch of people of faith, and they said, would you please come and preach? Would you please come and speak to our group? I love our nation. I'm a flag-waving American. I thank God that I was born in the, uh, in the South. I praise the Lord that I live and was able to raise my kids in the South. I, I love my heritage. I'm not apologizing for being a Southerner. I am sad over the fact that we have... Um, some stains of sin in our history, but I am so grateful. I'm grateful to be born in the South. And in regards to that, I think about the ministry that God has called me to. I went on this particular occasion to preach or to speak at this Tea Party organization, and I told the guy on the telephone, I said, I'll come, but I want you to know this first and foremost. I am a preacher of the gospel. I preach the gospel. And if I preach the gospel... I will give an invitation. I will not just walk off the stage. I want you to clearly understand. And now, if you want me to still come, I will. But I'm going to give an invitation. And the gentleman said, well, that's why we called you. I said, okay. So I showed up. I preached a 10-minute message about our, our heritage, presented the gospel of Jesus Christ, gave an invitation, asked people to raise their hand, testifying that they got saved, and there were 20 people that gave their heart and lives to Jesus that day at a political rally. I walked away from that, praising God, people celebrating. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. It was so exciting and wonderful. The next year, they never, ever, never, to this day, they've never invited me to come back. I got a phone call a couple years ago. This has been many, many years ago. Individual called and said hello, and he told me his name. He says, I'm the... Uh, chapter president of the NAACP said would you please come we would like for you to speak to us I said sir I want you to clearly understand I'm a gospel preacher I'm going to give a gospel invitation and uh, I'm going to share the gospel and I'm going to ask people to be saved said uh, I just want to make sure you're, you're clear on that I'm a conservative and I preach the gospel now, do you, and I'm going to give an invitation do you still want me to come that's why we called you. Okay. I got to the event. Jam-packed auditorium. Full. Full. I stood up. And when I began to pray, the Holy Spirit of God done settled down on that place. This is no joke. When I said amen, there were people standing on the back of chairs. I gave a gospel invitation for people to come to get saved. All over the auditorium, hands were raised testifying of the goodness of God, how that there's reconciliation at the foot of the cross. Brothers and sisters, I never ever got invited back. I want you to clearly understand I'm okay with that because God has given me one calling. That calling is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I could stand up here and I could absolutely just start at one end and go all the way to the other end and tickle your ears and say things that make you get all excited and stand up and shout and all this. And I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay, we're fine. But the problem is I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you the truth. If you die in your sins, you will go to hell. Not a lot of preaching on hell anymore. You can tell. 
Bless God, we're living on hell on earth because we won't come to Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. You think this is bad, you die without Jesus Christ. Listen to me very carefully. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, when you die in your sins, you are separated from God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. These men said, you pick out some men that's full of the Holy Ghost. Stephen stepped up to the plate. And he said, I'll serve. Philip stepped up to the plate. Philip said, yes, I'll serve. Remember, Philip was the man that God called to go tell one person about Jesus. He called him out of a metropolitan city where all of these lost people were, to go tell one, not just one person, but one Ethiopian eunuch, a man that could not even reproduce himself, and came to him and shared the gospel with him. And he got saved and got baptized. The choice. Can I ask you this question? Are you full of the Holy Spirit? And then let, watch this. I, I'm done. This is the fifth and final point. The cooperation. The cooperation. We've seen the challenge. We've seen the calling. We've watched the consistency. We've seen the choice. And now we see the cooperation. Look at what happens in verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And then the scripture says, and the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied even more in Jerusalem, greatly, the Bible says, and a great company of priests, the religious people of the day, threw their religion down and were obedient to the faith. The cooperation. You see, when when difficulties invade the church, when things don't go as planned, and the church comes together, and the church says, we're going to work through this together, and we're going to make this work, and we cooperate together, then God does things that we can't even explain. I wish I could stand up here today, church, and explain to you how we've been able to complete this gym, get the debt to go down, grow in our congregation, Meet the needs of our community and still maintain budget even in the midst of this pandemic. All I can say is God's hands upon us. His hands on us. And because his hands upon us, we cooperate together. And in this cooperation that we we have, we have several elements that are cooperating together. And that's what we see here in the text. There there are three things that are cooperating together. Watch it. Don't miss this. Because if you miss this, there'll be no cooperation. Number one, the first one is the disciples. Look at verse 6 very quickly. Let me get my glasses so I can see. The Bible says, whom they set before the apostles. So they, I would underline the word they because who's that's referring to? It's referring to the church. He's referring to the people. So the people say, we're going to ask these individuals, these are who we are presenting for this new ministry. Here they are. 
And then not only do you have the disciples, then you've got the apostles. The apostles are the leadership. The apostles saying, okay, yes, we approve. Stephen is a man of faith. Philip is a man of faith. They are both full of the Holy Spirit. There is no doubt. We agree. They cooperate together. And then they lay their hands on them and pray for them. And then after that, there's a third. There's a third cooperation. Don't miss it. It's in verse 7. The Bible says, and the word of God increase. Now, it points to the increasing word of God. But the point I'm trying to make to you today is they did not leave out the word of God. They included it. That's vital. Because I really do not believe God's blessings would be upon this place. If I just came up here and I didn't bring my Bible and I didn't preach out of the Bible and I just stood up here and we had a little TED talk about how great uh, our culture is and great our society is. God's hand wouldn't be on this place. But to take the word of God and say, no, this is the truth that we're going to live by. And to take the scriptures and expound the scriptures verse by verse. You know why that's not done today in many churches? We're used to it, okay? I know we're used to it, and we, we can't imagine doing any other way. But most churches, aren't. they don't do this. They don't take the scriptures and systematically go through it. In fact, a very small number of churches do. And the reason why is because they say it's boring. It's boring. It's laborious. It's hard. It's technical. And the problem you have is you've got churches out there that are a mile wide and an inch deep because they're not studying the whole counsel of God. Can I just be honest with you? I got in the scriptures this week and I said, I don't want to preach this. Man, we just got off some exciting stuff here in the text. I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, persecutions come in the church and the church is growing. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church. Man, that's a good one. I had a good time with that one. Man, that's wonderful. Many signs and wonders the disciples did. That's great. And now here, instructional. Uh, I'll be glad when next week comes I can talk about Stephen being taken to prison. His sermon. Man, that, that's a narrative. We're going to have fun with that one. But this one, uh, God said, son, I called you to preach the whole counsel. I don't care if you like it or not. Bless God, you're going to preach it. And so the pastor cooperates with the spirit in cooperation with the word in cooperation with the church. Now, you'll walk away from this and you'll classify this sermon in one or two categories. That's a good message or a bad message. Or, or <laughs> that's a good message or... I've heard better. Let's put it that way. I've heard better. You know how I can tell? When you leave and say goodbye to me, if I preach better messages, you'll say something like this. Preacher, your hair sure did look good today. Here's one I, here's one, here's one, here's one I heard at the last service. I know I've preached better messages, but here's one I love. I love this one. Preacher, you sure did articulate very good today. <laughs> My favorite of all is, I know, I've preached, I know I've preached better messages, and you walk out and you say something like this. Man, I sure do like your tie. <laughs> but if it's a good, if it's really it's a, it's a good message, I mean, if it's really, uh, if I delivered it 
and, and, and it just all come together, then, then you say something like this. Man, that really spoke to my heart today. Tears stop filling your eyes. You say something like this. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I got right with God today. And I know he's calling me into ministry. And I'm just telling you, preacher, I want to obey God. Let me ask you this. Where are you going to classify this sermon? But let me preference it by saying this. It's not my message. <laughs> it's this message. This, this is the message. That's the message. Are we walking in truth, cooperating together in the message God's given us? Let's bow for prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed as we come to our time of reflection we want to sing a song uh, together today uh, that really reflects the message that God has placed on our heart today and we want to open the altar the altar is open maybe the Lord spoke to you about your prayer time you, you're, you, obviously you can come anytime but I'm asking you to step out of the bondage and sorrow that you've been in And come to Jesus Christ. The Bible says joy comes in the morning. Quit living in the nighttime. Be bold in your witness. Let God use you for the glory of God. Come to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never been saved. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you right where you're at, would you say something like this to the Lord? Whether you're watching by Facebook, maybe you're watching YouTube or Vimeo or or our website, maybe you're listening to this via our podcast, maybe you're listening to this on the internet, or you're listening by way of radio, right now, right now, would you ask the Lord Jesus to save your soul? Would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. And this morning, I ask you to save my soul. Today, I repent of my sins. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to look right up this way. We're going to stand and we're going to sing this song here. And this is our response as Christians. Maybe you're a Christian, you're born again, you've got Jesus in your heart. This is our response to him, that we've come to Jesus. When we're done, we're going to exit just out these doors here, just like that. We're going to go out those doors. I'm going to be in the first room on the left. I'd love to see if you're our guest. Look, I'm a big joker. I kid around, you know, just laughing, kidding around. That's just me. I really would love to see you, say hello to you. You don't have to comment about the message. I, I'm, look, it's, it's God's word I'm preaching. It's okay. You want to make fun fun of my tire or whatever? You can do that. I I don't even have one on. You make fun of that. I would like to see you. But if you have a spiritual need, I'd love to see you as well. We also have room 256. That's the last room on the left when you leave today. There's a staff member in there, a minister, that would love to pray for you and help you with any need that you have. 
Maybe you want to know more about prayer. Whatever the case is, they're there. But whatever your need, would you come to Jesus? Would you come to the Lord? Let's all stand and sing this as our response to the message today as the Lord uses us this week for His glory. I love you. Thank you so very much for tuning into our broadcast today. It is the purpose of Maysville Baptist Church to love God, love others, and serve the world. One of the ways that we serve the world is broadcasting this program all over the world through the internet. I want to tell you what a joy it is to have you tune in today. Maybe at the end of the service you prayed and received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Several years ago, I wrote a book entitled My First Week. I would love to send you a copy of this book to help you on your brand new journey as being a born-again Christian. If you'll just reach out to me by our website, send me an email, uh, or maybe even call the church, I'd be glad to drop this in the mail and send it to you. May the Lord bless you for tuning in. I hope to see you next week, and thank you for being with us at Mason. Give life, you are love.
It's your breath.